Romans chapter 3. And then Article 20 in the Belgic Confession. That's found on page 78 in the back of the blue hymnal. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. God's word given to us for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. But now... A righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Grass withers. The flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. Amen. I'll, I'll read Article 20 for us, but if you'd like to follow along, it's on page 78 there at the bottom. The heading, with the heading, God has manifested his justice and mercy in Christ. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, sent his son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed, to make satisfaction in the same, and to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. God therefore manifested his justice against his Son when he laid our iniquities upon him, and poured forth his mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation, out of mere and perfect love, giving his Son unto death for us, And raising him for our justification, that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. We see something that has been emphasized in this part of the confession and at various points of the confession is that uh, the, the character and the attributes of God are upheld throughout redemption. God uh, never changes. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, therefore I do not change. But uh, God does not change uh, in the midst of his saving human beings. He, he wills to save. It was his will from uh, even before the foundations of the earth were laid. And God does not change. God is both merciful and just, as we see many times in our standards. The Heidelberg Catechism emphasizes that. We believe that God is merciful, but he is also 
just. And Jesus Christ is the, the proof, the display, you, you, you could even say the embodiment of God's justice and his mercy. That, that place where love and justice agree in, in Jesus Christ and at the cross where all of these questions, all of these wonderings of the human heart are answered, answered that love and justice meet at a hill called Calvary. And we see the answers to the greatest questions of life, evil and love and justice and forgiveness. We see the, the evil of man in, in uh, betraying and, and murdering the Son of God, the Holy and Righteous One. We see the, uh, the love of God shown forth in, in the giving of the Son, uh, fulfilling the promise He made in Genesis 22 to provide another sacrifice. We see the, the justice of God poured forth as He lays the sins of the world uh, upon Jesus Christ. And uh, we see the forgiveness of God shown in the great exchange between Christ uh, and those who believe in him. It's foundational to all the things that we confess and uh, love and justice within the character and the attributes of God is not a contradiction, but it is a, a wonderful mystery about God. Even though there is mystery to it, there there is... A, a large sense in which our redemption accords with reason. Right? It makes sense. It, it, it is wondrous. We, we never could have thought of it or done it on our own, certainly, but it accords with reason. Jesus Christ is truly righteous. Jesus Christ is the God-man, and because he is both God and man, he can not only uh, bear sin, not only is he able to bear sin in the same human nature in which sin was committed, but he also has the power of his divinity to shoulder the weight of carrying that sin, as our catechism says. He's the one who came to do the will of God. Uh, He obeys the eternal will of of God. We see that he comes to live as uh, the, the son of man, the, the ideal man. Words that you might see in uh, Psalm 8. Psalm 8 presents to us really the ideal picture of what a human being is to look like and how a human being is to live. God has crowned his creatures with glory and with honor. He put the, the world in subjection under us and he told us rule. He told Adam in the Garden of Eden to rule and to, to, to bring the creation more and more into uh, his own subjection. That is Adam's subjection. But as we know and as we see and as the author of Hebrews points out, we do not, you look around this world, and what we see is we do not see this world put into subjection to man. Man has shirked his responsibility. He's pushed it away. He has forgotten and he has neglected what God has told him to do since, of course, the fall into sin. That's what happens. You look around this world with biblically informed eyes. What we see is confirmation that we have not put the creation into subjection. We have not ruled the way that God has intended us to rule. Uh, We have failed. We were intended to rule But we have left this command of God and said that we want to do it our own way, not caring about the the chaos that it uh, creates. So the book of Hebrews says, we do not yet see everything everything yet put in subjection to him. That is, generally, generally speaking, man. We don't see everything put in subjection to man. The chaos of the world, the, the way that 
sin gets into the fabric of all the things that we see and, and it messes things up and all of the injustice and all of the horrors of this world, we don't see this world put in subjection to man. But the book of Hebrews says right after that, it says, but we do see Jesus. We do see him. It doesn't mean see him visually with our eyes, but we know the life that he has lived. We know the, the, the perfect redemption he has accomplished, and we know by faith that he is seated at the right hand of God. We do see him. He, was, he has been crowned with glory and honor, and now he is reigning and ruling, and things have been put in subjection under him. And he is bringing creation more and more into his subjection until finally and ultimately he will come to make his righteous reign known. So we do see Jesus. In that way, our redemption, our salvation is fitting. There's something fitting about it. It's what we talked about last week. It is, it's appropriate. It's fitting that uh, the God-man would come and he would suffer for sin and by doing so that he would uh, grant his righteousness uh, to those to whom God is pleased uh, to give the gift of faith. It is fitting. So Christ is the proof, the manifestation, the embodiment of the justice and the mercy of God. In him we see, we find our sin substitute. In him we see the unfolding of the righteousness of God, the, the righteousness of the law of God. In him we see the great sacrifice of the love of God, uh, the Father, and the sacrifice of God, the Son, committing himself to finishing the work. The joy set before him, he went to the cross. Without a strong sense of justice, without a strong sense of the holiness of God, God's mercy becomes empty. The cross becomes meaningless. God's will becomes arbitrary. For how could a holy and good and sovereign and just God send his only begotten son to the cross merely as an example, merely as something that we're supposed to look at and, and, and find some sort of moral example of sacrifice? If we believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control, how could a good God do that if that were the purpose? No, the purpose needs to be much, much, much deeper. And in order for it to be deeper, we need a true sense of the holiness of God, a true sense of the righteousness, of the justice of God. Without all of those things, God's mercy becomes empty and the cross becomes meaningless. But if uh, that cross is the only place where God's justice and mercy could be exercised and upheld, then the cross becomes the place of our ultimate humility, it becomes the place of unending thankfulness, and it becomes the place of transformed lives, transformed lives. As we mentioned, justice and righteousness, and that's where our passage here in Romans 3 begins. It begins by saying, now, but now, I lead this you know, this converse sort of idea, sort of conjunction word, but now. This is a key shift in the letter to the Romans here in Romans 3.21 because up until that point, if you see what's going on, Paul is really tracing the story of universal human sinfulness. He's making the case and saying, 
The human race is sinful. Those who have the law are sinful. Those who do not have the law are sinful. We're all on the same playing field. It's a level playing ground. We are all standing before God, unable to bring before him any sense of our own merit uh, or righteousness. The law, then, is not an instrument to be used to gain salvation, but it's something that shows greater condemnation. Those who are given the law, Israel, cannot use it for a means to achieve salvation, but it shines a light. It's a, it could be a light or it could be a mirror. We used to talk about the law of God as a mirror or it shines a light in a dark place upon our sinfulness. So every mouth is stopped. The whole world is accountable before God because the curse of sin is universal. But now, Paul says, but now something has been shown. You, you ask, okay, so if Paul is saying, but now, does that mean that uh, everything has changed? Does that mean that there was no salvation prior to what he's going to talk about in Romans 3.21? Does that mean that prior to the life of Jesus, we might say, that, that, that people were saved by uh, works, that people uh, were not saved through Christ? No, that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's going to show us later on in this passage that the the scheme of salvation, of being made right with God, it all centers upon Jesus. Those who lived before Jesus and those who lived after Jesus. If you had faith in the gospel, and the gospel has begun to be proclaimed since Genesis chapter 3. If you believe in the promises of the gospel, then your sins were laid upon Christ. We're talking this morning in our catechism class, the, our, the workbook that we're going through is talking about uh, the visual of a, a bulldozer, you know, a bulldozer moving mounds of dirt or moving dirt into the centerpiece from both the left and the right. And you can imagine the sins of all of the believing saints in the Old Testament moved forward to the cross and the sins of all the new covenant believers being moved backwards to the cross to that one place Jesus Christ, God and man, and of course, because of that, he needs to be both God and man to shoulder the weight of our sin substitute. But Paul says the righteousness of God, apart from the law, has been made known. The righteousness of God, apart from the law, has been made known. Other translations have manifested or revealed The righteousness of God has been revealed. And the reason that that is significant, of course, is as we're talking about the ideas of justice and righteousness and holiness, is that we understand that as creatures, as those created by a holy and righteous God, we need righteousness. And through the law, these things cannot be obtained. God, of course, knew what was going on the whole time. He knew what he was going to reveal. He knew what he was going to unveil. But in his wisdom, he kept Christ hidden until the time that he sent him to earth. It's kind of like when a a young man takes the young lady he loves on a long journey one night. Maybe uh, some sort of scavenger hunt or a historical retracing of their uh, significant dates and memories throughout their time together. The young lady may be oblivious to what's going on. She may be confused or frustrated by the winding path that this young man is making her go down. I remember the spring of 2008, I believe, and uh, I was 
Michelle was quite frustrated with me. I was kind of bringing her down this winding path, and she kind of thought that maybe this is the night that he's going to propose to me. But then, of course, when I get down on a knee, and it's, it's revealed, it's made known that this was the plan I had all along. Right? So the winding path of humanity's history, this was God unveiling and revealing that he was going to make the, his righteousness manifested, and it makes Sense. And if we were to look at the sweep of all of human history to see great men like Abraham and David break God's law and yet ultimately uh, they win God's favor, people might say, well, hold on now. You know, if they were to live at the, the time of Abraham and David and if someone were to say, that man, David, is, he's going to be in heaven forever. Someone might say, well, let's look at the sin of David's life. It's fairly significant, fairly serious failure in David's life. And certainly that is true. But Romans chapter 3, Paul says that it is at the cross that where all of those questions are answered because all of the sins before Jesus, all of the sins after Jesus are brought together to that one place at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the purposes of God are manifested. The righteousness of God is revealed. The questions about his justice and his mercy are all answered. So, uh, Paul says, righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Wonderful promises, wonderful truth, wonderful things to consider. Righteousness given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. This is apart from the law. This phrase that Paul uses means that you cannot have a stronger disconnect from the law of God, in other words. There is no sense, Paul is saying, there is no sense in which the law of God figures into our being made right with God. Justification is what we talk about, that big word, justified, to to be forgiven of your sins, to be declared righteous. There is no sense in which you are law-keeping. There is no sense in which your own activity, there is no sense in which your own uh, keeping of the law figures into your justification. Sanctification, essential category of the Christian life. There, your law-keeping, your righteousness, your godliness, all of that figures into that part of it. But in justification, Paul says, the righteousness from God has been manifested and it is apart from the law. Cannot state that more clearly and uh, emphasize it enough. In a world that's steeped in talk about self-fulfillment, in a world that's steeped in talk about Uh, following our dreams perhaps in in ways that uh, we're we're beginning to show, uh, we're we're beginning to see through studies the way in which younger generations are more and more and more struggling with depression, struggling with self-doubt, struggling with low self-esteem. Exactly the kind of straight talk that our world needs is that we cannot, no matter how hard we try, we cannot achieve salvation. We cannot do it. We cannot please God, merit salvation before him. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. In this way, the gospel message, which begins with this hard truth, it begins with universal 
sinfulness. Not only is it actually filled with hope, but it becomes refreshing to people who spend their days listening to the the mumbo-jumbo of the spirituality of this new age in which we're living. The prophecies of self-fulfillment, the false hope that uh, so many people are given that uh, you really can do whatever you want. And as we're beginning to find out, the more and more that people fail to fulfill some of their dreams, the more and more it redounds back onto themselves and they realize they have only themselves to blame. I was told all my life that I could be and do whoever, uh, whatever I wanted to be and whoever I wanted to be and now I failed at that and now all I, the only person I can blame is myself. I must be a failure. But in the Christian worldview, the most basic question, the only ultimate question, is that we are completely handcuffed and completely incapable of saving ourselves. The Christian answer to the question, can I do or be anything I want, is at least when it comes to the only thing that really matters, none of us even have a shot. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, great to small, rich to poor. This is the wonderful truth we begin And it sounds like such a hard truth, but ultimately it becomes a a truth of great hope because of what we see in Jesus Christ. Jesus gives the human race the most accurate description of who we are, of who you are, of who I am. Jesus gives it the most accurate description, as Ravi Zacharias likes to put. Jesus says, God's word says, that our hearts are desperately wicked. He looks into the condition of human beings and he says, The human heart is desperately wicked. Ravi Zacharias, uh, author and apologist I really appreciate and read quite often, one of his trusted anecdotes as he's talking about universal human sinfulness is that he had the opportunity in the 1980s to go and visit visit, uh, Auschwitz, a death camp, one of the most notorious death camps of the Nazi regime. He said that it was important that he went, just first of all, to understand the vital difference between a concentration camp and a death camp. He says those are two different things, and you have to understand and know that those are two different things if you're going through the history. And there are many different things on display there in, in, in Auschwitz, and one of the things is on, that's on display is this room that is filled with thousands, this, this is not a joke, thousands of pounds of women's hair. Because as they were killing people in Auschwitz, they would shave the heads of women and they would actually use this hair to make things that they would sell and they would market it in the streets of Germany as things that had been woven with that, with that as horrible as it sounds. And Ravi's point, the larger application, he says, will be missed if you look at the the large-scale horrors of this world and the terrible 20th century and all of the things that have gone on and will say, well, there are times at which particular human hearts show desperate wickedness. There are times at which the human race has ascended to these levels of wickedness that we could not have imagined. If you see just the gross evil, the vast evil, and the incomprehensible evil that the human race is capable of, you will miss the larger point. Because sin and the wickedness of the human heart, the the diagnosis that Jesus gives, not only in his words, but also in his life, just in his ministry, as he's walking through this world, his righteousness is revealing the unrighteousness and the wickedness of the human heart. If we miss the larger points, we will fail to see that 
our own wickedness, our own sinfulness is spawned, as Zechariah says, in the simplest expression that each of us have every day. Every day, at some point, we all have this. We stare into God's righteous law, and we stare through it to our Creator, and we say, no, I want to do it my way, not yours. I want to do it my way, not yours. That's what evil is all about. And that's the way in which we all are culpable in evil. That's the way in which we all are culpable in the fallenness of this world because we all look into God's righteous law. At some point, we look into it and through it, we look to our creator and we say, no, I want to do it my way, not yours. And God is Lord, God is King, and even still, we fail and we fall short. We need to learn to think And see ourselves with the eyes of scripture. It's not that we are sinners because we sin. But rather we sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. That is at our core who we are as fallen. Guilty from conception. Inclined to all evil. Our guilt is before the face of God. So the the truth of scripture cuts against the emotional reasoning. That our culture encourages us to, to follow. To reason from our our feelings, the reason from our feelings. And uh, people are starting to realize how dangerous this is. I'm actually reading a book now that's written from a secular perspective on the, the dangers of emotional reasoning and always following your feelings. Reasoning based on feeling would say that we think that human beings are basically good, that we are not desperately wicked, but it is the Lord who weighs the heart. It is the, the Lord who can look into the motives of people. And even though God restrains us from the depths of evil of which we are capable, we need to give ourselves the diagnosis that Scripture gives. All have sinned. Righteousness manifested apart from the law because within the law, within the confines of the law, there will be no human righteousness from our perspective. And that is why we need the righteousness from God manifested apart from the law, manifested through faith in Jesus Christ. And there we see the love and the justice and the mercy of God all converge with one. That brings us then to this, the later parts of this passage where it says that we are justified freely. And then in verse 5, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. As a sacrifice of atonement. This is the Greek word hilasmos. It is the Greek word through which we, we have the translation propitiation. We've talked about that in recent weeks. Uh, uh, the word propitiation as other translations used it. Here the, the translators of the New International Version thought it would be best to translate it as a phrase, sacrifice of atonement, in the hopes that people would probably gain more understanding, that they would understand it a little bit better. I think the, the better approach would just be using the word and entrusting people to learn and to know what that word means. So the word propitiation is something that turns away wrath. It's something that turns away wrath. And what it is saying is that Jesus is that propitiation because God's wrath is against human beings, against the human race, and in Christ and by his work, the wrath of God is turned away from us. God's wrath is turned away from us. So when we begin to see ourselves, to quote uh, uh, 
author Rosaria Butterfield, we begin to see ourselves the way Scripture describes us when we are not in relationship with God through Christ. We are enemies of God in an all-out war. We need to see that God sent his only begotten son to become sin on our behalf, that God saved us from one major thing. He saved us from himself. He saved us from himself. We cannot soft pedal this reality. God saves us from himself. Psalm 7 records this war. His bow is ready and arrows will penetrate into the hearts of all impenitent sinners. For that, we need a propitiation, something to turn away the wrath. And Christ does that by bearing that same wrath in his body on the tree. It is this truth of Christ as the propitiation that we, we see the biblical authors are so keen on emphasizing the fact that in our redemption, God's justice and his holiness, his character is not compromised. And that's where we need that great exchange of our sins placed on Jesus, Jesus' righteousness given to us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Since therefore you have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God saves in accordance with his character. Verses 25 and 26 Repeat this phrase that, that uh, Jesus is given as a sacrifice of atonement. And he did this to demonstrate his justice. He did it to demonstrate his justice. Verse 26 says it as well. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. Why? Because he is a just God. Because he will make his character known. Because he will reveal to the world. He's going to go, he's going public with his glory. When he sends Jesus to this earth. He's going public with his glory. Because he's showing the world. That he is so intent on saving sinners. That he will send. And he will give his son. Out of his love. Out of his love. We, we cannot soft pedal this reality. And it's difficult for us to square with. In, in many ways. Because of the, the, the way that, uh, the way that our, our minds are. And, and the way that our culture talks about things at times. But. We need to understand that we need to talk about these things the way Scripture does. God upholds his justice and he loved his people enough to send his son to exercise his justice. That he, his wrath would be placed upon Jesus Christ, the God-man. So through Jesus, the justice of God is proved, it is manifested, it is embodied. In this way, we need never to doubt our salvation in Christ. The, the, the wonderful way in which it turns around for us is that if God is just, if God is holy, if God is perfectly righteous, then as we see that it is so fitting, as we talked about, it's so fitting that Jesus would be our Savior and our Redeemer. We can know and we can be assured and we can be comforted that we, can never, that we never need to doubt our salvation in Christ for the price has been fully paid and God would never go against his character and that he has shown his justice in canceling the record of debt as Colossians chapter 2 says he has canceled the rest record of debt that stood against us because he nailed it to the cross 
He nailed it to the cross when Jesus hung there. And so we can know for sure that sins have been paid and God would never bring up, in terms of condemnation, those sins that have been committed against him. So the holiness of God comes full circle in order to work for our comfort so that you know God will never act outside of his character. He will never act outside of his righteousness. And you know that when he says sins are forgiven in Christ, sins have been paid at the cross, you can know and be assured that no truth, no, no, nothing truer has ever been spoken. The life we enjoy is sure and certain because of the one through whom it comes. Our righteous God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfected through the God-man, whose blood speaks a better word. We are justified through his blood, as it says. Justified freely through faith in his blood, in verse 25. See, the true, the only begotten Son of God became dust, that you and I, who are dust, might become sons of God. That is the depth to which Christ had to go because our God is so wonderful, so righteous, and so holy. He loved us so much that he sent his son that we would be forgiven. And he is so holy that he would never do anything that falls outside of his character. Only a holy and a just God would do all of these things. And only a holy and a just God would follow through with forgiveness. Because when we look at the, the depth of the wickedness of our own heart, we look at our own heart and when we say each and every day, look into God's law and through it we look to our creator and we say, no, 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 I want to do it my way and not yours. Only a holy and a righteous God would follow through with forgiveness. Because that is how deep our sinfulness goes. That even on this, the other side of knowing Christ and knowing redemption and knowing grace and knowing God's love, that we still say, I want it my way. I want it my way. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God we serve. And what a great and awesome and glorious gospel that he gives to us. One that is fitting. One that accords with his righteousness and his justice and his holiness. Thanks to the Lord for our prophet and priest and king. Love and adore this Savior. Love being called a child of God through what he has finished for us in his Son. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise and adoration. We thank you for our salvation. We pray that you would impress these truths upon our hearts by the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.